You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. This morning I want to start a series uh, talking about a man, a prophet in the Old Testament who did that very thing, who gave himself fully, wholly to the word of God and how God took that man's commitment to his word and, and led a nation uh, to freedom. As we kind of have been wrapping up our season of Advent, as we've kind of been focused on uh, the birth of God's son, Emmanuel, God with us, I'm going to ask you to kind of just take an imaginary journey with me this morning, and I want to ask you to go with me back in time to about 500 years before the Lord Jesus was born there in Bethlehem. And that means we're going to go back over 2,500 years ago to a land that was known as Babylon. Now today, we call that same land Iraq, but back in the Old Testament, it was known as the nation of Babylon. And one historical importance to keep in mind about Babylon was it was the fountainhead of all paganism and idolatry. Babylon was the originator of every form of evil and practices at that time in history. Babylon was the place that the nation of Israel was taken captive in 597 BC. And they remained there in captivity for 70 years, just as God had foretold through the prophet Jeremiah. Now, there are six books in the Old Testament which have to do with the Jews being taken captive there in Babylon. Three of those books are in what we call the historical section of the Old Testament, and they're Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. There are also three books in the Old Testament in what we call the prophetical section. They are the last three books of the Old Testament, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those six books, books of the Old Testament have to do with this period of time known as the Babylonian captivity and the return of the Jews back into the land of promise after they had been held captive there in Babylon for 70 years. Now again, it's important to understand that God allowed Babylon to conquer the Jewish nation because the Jewish nation was at a time where they were completely given over to the practice of idolatry and paganism. God's chosen people, the Jewish people, the vast majority of them decided they wanted to follow after other gods. They wanted to pursue other idols, other pagan teachings of the day. They wanted to intermarry. They wanted to intermingle with people who were completely given over to paganism and idolatry, and then they would adapt their ways to those ways. So there comes a point where God just completely gives them over to what they insisted upon. If we as a nation are wise, we'll learn from that. Or we're going to have to learn the same hard lesson they learned the same hard way. 
God allowed them. It was part of his purposes and plans for them. God allowed them to be conquered and taken captive. And in those 70 years of captivity, here's what God did. God cured them of their desire, their hunger, and their passion for paganism and idolatry once and for all. From that point forward, when they left the land of Babylon and went back to the promised land, they no longer believed or pursued in many gods. They believed and they served the one true God of the Bible. There will always come a tipping point where God gives us what we insist on having. Psalm 106 verse 15 is one of those such places where it says this, God gave them their desires but sent leanness to their soul. The New Living Translation kind of gives a more stark version of what God really did. It says, so God gave them what they asked for and he sent a plague along with it. I think a lot of what we're seeing and experiencing in America today is certainly an illustration of this truth. There's a growing majority of Americans that are, by and large, have decided we want to pursue paganism in this country. I think it's why we have allowed for the most part, we've tolerated, we have assisted children in becoming the opposite sex, even if it involves physical permanent mutilation. I think it's why we're okay with exposing young children to drag queen shows, allowing them to openly participate and then call it entertainment. I think it's why we see very little pushback in filling our public school libraries with sexually explicit materials. I think it's why we want the freedom to abort babies at any time during pregnancy for whatever reason we want. I think it's why our culture is now actively pushing to make pedophiles out as normal and healthy individuals. These are just to name a few of the examples that I see happening in our culture today that indicates to me that America wants and is pursuing a very pagan lifestyle. We do not want the Christian faith of previous generations. We do not want to abide by God's word or abide by God's way. So I believe God is in the process of giving America what America wants. And I think we're seeing and we're experiencing more and more the fruits of our paganism and our rejection of God. Living in a society now where there are little to no absolutes. There's no moral values. There's no conscience. There's no quality of life on either end anymore. And here's the thing we failed to learn. If we as a nation insist on paganism, God will say to us, just as he did the nation of Israel, okay, I will let you fully experience what paganism, what idolatry, what heathenism can do to your life and to your nation. And you know what? It may well be the cure for us as a nation if it doesn't first destroy us. It's one of the things that 
mankind learned very quickly after the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's interesting just right off the bat in Genesis 6, 3, God makes this statement, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Another translation puts it this way, my spirit will not contend with humans forever. In other words, what Genesis is saying to us is there comes a time when God will simply give us over to the desires and the pursuits of our hearts, whether those desires and pursuits are for good or for evil. This is the same idea the Apostle Paul was trying to convey there in Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 21. He said, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, the Bible says they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them. God eventually gave them over to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth of God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. So God, in his rich mercy, he'll always give us a window of time to repent and allow him to restore our hearts and our minds so that we are in tune with him, that we will begin to align our ways with his ways, our thoughts with his thoughts. And this is what happened there in the nation of Israel that ultimately led to them being conquered and taken captivity to the land of Babylon for the next 70 years. And I just believe if we're not careful, there will come a time where God will just allow us to also be taken captive. And I believe we are getting very close to that time, if not already well into it. And don't be fooled. Captivity can take many forms. And I'm gonna talk more about that next week. Captivity doesn't simply mean that we're taken from this land into another. We can be taken captive in this very land through addictions, through pornography, through a whole host of things that the enemy can use to take us captive. And again, it was through those 70 years of captivity, God's people, the Jews, they finally woke up. They finally came to their senses. They repented and they returned to the one true God. When the situation gets very serious, when things get just about as bad as they can get, then oftentimes the conditions are ripe. They're perfect for repentance and revival. Most people do not look up until they're completely down. Most people don't call on God until they're in desperate straits. So the Jews are in a very desperate situation and they call upon God in the land of captivity. And God sends these people a much needed revival. 
and they eventually returned for the purposes of national restoration and spiritual reformation. And one of the people God used was an Old Testament prophet by the name of Ezra to lead the nation of Israel out of captivity and back to the promised land. And so for the next several weeks or however long it takes, we're gonna look at this Old Testament book of Ezra and see what was God saying to the nation of Israel and what might God be saying to us as a nation today through this prophet. Now you may ask yourself, what in the world are we gonna do taking such an old, ancient, dry, dusty book like Ezra? What would that possibly have to teach us in the year 2023? Things are so much different now than they probably were back in Ezra's day. We may see ourselves as a more modern, a more sophisticated people. We live in the land of the free, the home of the brave. We have in God we trust printed on our money. Why are we ever gonna spend time studying an old ancient book like Ezra? Here's the reason why. In the book of Ezra, he reveals to us the spiritual principles that God used to restore and to redeem a lost, broken, sinful people. In the 10 chapters of this Old Testament book, we're gonna discover the godly principles that are eternal, they work, they're true, and they're applicable in every situation and in every age. God promises that when we meet certain conditions that he will send a spiritual awakening if we will just agree to those conditions and follow the spiritual principles that he lays out. You're gonna discover as we get into looking at this book, it's very practical, very down to earth. It's extremely relevant to where we are today as a nation, even though it's very ancient. My prayer is, is that before we finish the study of this little book, that God would use it to stir our hearts towards repentance and restoration. That God will move even in the midst of our congregation and churches across the city and nation. And that we will begin to experience a reawakening and a revival. I believe there are small signs that God is beginning to do this in churches across the nation. And I believe God is in this place. And I believe God is ready. I believe God is willing. God is able. It is the desire of his heart to do some wonderful, wonderful things in this church and across this nation if we'll simply call out to him, pursue him. So before we delve into this Old Testament book of Ezra, let me tell you a little bit about the man Ezra. The name Ezra in the Hebrew Bible means help or helper which is kind of fitting given the task he's taking on. He's helping to return the Jewish people back to their homeland. Ezra is also a priest and a scribe. Now as a scribe, it required Ezra to be a very serious and a very devout student of God's word. Here was a man who was completely given to studying the word of God in order to know the nature, the character of God, as well as his will and his ways. As a scribe, it also required him to be a very gifted teacher so that what he was learning, he was able 
to share and teach the Jewish people the truth about who God was, their history as God's chosen people, as well as the teachings of the prophets. Remember, the Jewish people had completely lost their way as a godly nation. And because of that, they were taken captive there in Babylon because they had rejected and wholly forsaken God. It is now, in part, Ezra's job to reestablish and to reteach them all that they had forgotten concerning God, his word, and his ways. Lastly, as a scribe, it would be required that Ezra preserve and make copies. I believe as the Jewish people were taken captive into Babylon, they were able to take all of the scrolls of the prophets. They were able to take all the scrolls of the ancient books with them. And Ezra, as a prophet, one of the things that he would do is he would be continuously making more and more copies of all of the ancient scrolls. So as some were destroyed or uh, no longer able to be used, they could be replaced with the new ones that, that scribes like Ezra had made. We know this because of what is written in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. And it says this was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. This was a large part of his responsibility as a scribe. And I believe for revival and restoration to happen in America... It's going to take people like Ezra who are committed to studying, obeying, and then teaching the word of God to the people. One final note about Ezra and his role as a scribe. Ezra was one of the main leaders God used to establish and settle the official Jewish canon of Scripture. The 39 books that are in our Old Testament was first decided and established through the diligence and leadership of Ezra. So as Ezra led the Jewish people back to the promised land, he was also able to take complete copies of the word of God as well and to put them in the temple once again to be used once the temple was restored and rebuilt. So Ezra was a very strong, he was a very gifted, he was a very knowledgeable, and he was a very dedicated man of God. And I believe it will take leaders like Ezra to restore this nation back to God. So let's begin the study of book by talking about what is called there in the very beginning, the proclamation. Ezra chapter one begins with verse one, and it says, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. God stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem." Now, these first four verses uh, tell us about a proclamation that King Cyrus of Persia issued. 
and he's calling upon the Jews and he's inviting them to return back to their homeland and to rebuild their temple and to restore their nation. Look again at verse one. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and send it throughout the land, to, uh, his kingdom. In this opening verse, you find a very interesting example of the sovereignty of God. Now by that, the sovereignty of God simply means that God is in charge. That God is in complete control despite what circumstances or situations may dictate. Nothing has ever happened in this world since the beginning of time that is outside of God's control. Nothing and nothing ever will be. And I bring this to your attention because I want you to notice who God uses here in these opening verses. He uses a pagan king named Cyrus. King Cyrus wasn't Jewish. He wasn't a believer in the God of Israel. King Cyrus is ruling over a very pagan nation. And yet in spite of that, God uses him and God moves his heart to fulfill a promise that God had made through the prophet Jeremiah. Now I don't know about you, but this is encouraging to me. Sometimes we can get so preoccupied and so focused and concerned about the godless leaders in our country, their immoral behaviors, their destructive policies, their detrimental character of their lives, and we lose sight of the fact that in spite of all of that, God has never relinquished control. God's plans purposes and promises are going to come to pass. They will be fulfilled regardless of who's in charge and there's nothing anyone can do to stop him. Now that doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to it all. It matters. But we have to realize it matters only to a certain degree. God is not bound he is not limited by anyone's thoughts or behaviors, no matter how big or powerful those thoughts or behaviors may be. And the challenge for us as believers in the midst of all of this is we've got to find and we've got to maintain the middle ground, the holy ground, the ground that holds both of these truths in tension. And yet we have to also find a place where we can remain in a position of peace and confidence that ultimately God is going to have his way. As a matter of fact, God can, he does, and he will use godless people. King Cyrus is a prime example of that. That's why I believe it is so important for us to pray for those who are in leadership over us. Not because we agree with them, or even like them. But because regardless of who it is, God can and will use them. Nothing and no one can stop God from accomplishing his plans and his purposes. And when we are tempted to think that everything in the world or in America is out of control and beyond all hope, we need to always remember 
God has been in control. God is in charge and that will never change. What he was, he continues to be and forever will be. He never changes. Now it's not wrong and it's not a waste of time to want and to work toward electing godly leaders in leading our nation. I believe we need to do everything within our power to elect and to support godly leaders. I think anything we can do as a nation to cooperate and to work with God, to live according to his principles and elect those who will do the same, we are wise to do. But we have to be careful that when ungodly people are elected, that somehow suddenly God's hands have become tied or that his plans have somehow been hijacked or thwarted because it's just not true. I know that God is using President Biden and every other elected leader in this country to fulfill his plans and purposes for this nation. Even though I don't agree with everything they say or do, even though I think a lot of their policies are in open rebellion to God, again, I keep intention that truth that says God is much bigger and much greater than all of those people put together. And he has put each one in place for such a time as this. I don't even begin to understand how he does it, but I just trust that he does. He is in complete control and he knows what he's doing. Even this pagan king, King Cyrus, he seemed to understand this. Notice what he says in verse two, the Lord God, and he uses the Hebrew name Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of earth. He realized, he acknowledged it was Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God who put him in charge. That's amazing to me. He seems to have more insight into the heart and ways of God than many believers today. I'm not sure that some leaders today understand who put them in charge. They think they got themselves elected. They think they answer to no one but themselves. Well, I've got news for them. God is in charge. Even among the day-to-day -day affairs over men all over the world, he ultimately rules in the affairs of men and God can use anyone to do what he wills to be done. God used a wicked king, King Nebuchadnezzar, to punish the nation of Israel by allowing them to be taken captive to Babylon. And then he uses another pagan king, King Cyrus, to free them from their captivity and to return them to Israel. And he even sends with them the provisions that they would need to rebuild it. Both Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus, they were pagan kings, and yet God used them both to fulfill his plans and purposes. 
God put King Cyrus in office and God allowed Joe Biden to become president and God used King Cyrus and God will use Joe Biden whether he realizes it or not, whether he wants to or not. God is never beholden to any person, no matter how powerful that person thinks he or she may be. God is in control, period. And that opening verse there in Ezra is a confirmation of that truth. It's also interesting there in verse one that God shows us that he is fulfilling a promise he made to the nation Israel through the prophet Jeremiah long before it ever came to pass. And that should encourage us that God keeps and he fulfills his every promise. God is absolutely reliable. He is completely dependable. Interestingly, one of the indications that spiritual revival is coming is when people return to the word of God. This was one of the main responsibilities Ezra had there in Babylon. It was returning, it was leading the people of God back to the word of God. A man by the name of George Barna had something very interesting to say not too long ago. George Barna is probably one of the foremost authorities on spiritual awakening in America. And he's one of those men that kind of keep a pulse and keep an eye on the trends of America and American churches. And Barna says there's always two indications when a nation begins to experience revival. And he said the first indication is there is a marked increase in conversions. People are being born again. And he says the second indication is there's a changing of the moral climate in the nation. And he says there's no increase noticeably of conversions in America. In fact, he says we are losing ground faster in America than we ever have before. And the Christian population is getting smaller and smaller. Also, he sees there's no indication of moral and spiritual awakening in the national life of our country. One of the greatest revivals in history was the revival that took place in the land of Wales in 1904 under a man named Evan Roberts. And there were two ingredients that were very evident in the land of Wales. At that time, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people who were being converted to Christ. As a matter of fact, they said miners came to know Christ as their savior. And every morning as they got up and they would make their way to the mines, they would all be singing hymns together, rejoicing in their newfound salvation. He said the moral climate of Wales was completely transformed. The jails and the courts became empty. The bars and liquor stores were closed because of lack of business. Policemen walked on the streets with very little to do. There was a very evident moral change in Wales. And Barna says neither of these two things are happening in America today. We need to be praying as a church that God will use us in the church throughout America to evangelize the lost and that that would usher in a moral purity into America. D.L. Moody, the greatest evangelism uh, evangelist 
said that he believed the next revival in America will be a revival of Bible reading. He believes that will be the start. When God's people come back to his word and when the word is taught and believed and put into practice, that becomes a very, very fertile ground for revival and restoration in the land. So as we start off a new year, I would encourage you to put a plan in place that gets you into the word of God on a daily basis. I have put a Bible reading plan out on the table right outside the worship area here that will get you through the whole Bible uh, in a year. So I would encourage you, if you don't have something that you're currently using, if you're not uh, doing a daily Bible reading, I would encourage you to stop by and pick the, one of those up. You can even go online. You can Google Bible reading plans. There's a, a bunch of different ones out there. You can find something there um, that you find is, is helpful and meaningful to you. You just need to get into God's word daily. And I believe that God will use that discipline, that practice to ignite passion in our hearts for revival. Ezra made sure to keep the word of God before the people of God. And it was a key part of God's plan in restoring and returning the nation of Israel. And I believe it will also be a very key and significant part of God's plan in restoring and returning America back to a godly nation. So we're gonna pick it up here uh, next week. Let's stand together this morning. God, we just come to you this morning. And God, we recognize where we're at as a culture. We see it, we feel it, we experience it. And God, we feel the darkness. We feel the oppression. We feel the captivity. It may not be our captivity, but it's the captivity of our city, of our county, of our state, and of our country. And God, in many ways, it's because we have pursued, we have chased after idols, pagans. The God, we have sought to worship the creation rather than you, the creator. And Father, this morning, we just ask God, out of your great mercy, that God, you would hear our hearts this morning. That God, we ask you, Lord, to come and to revive this land. That God, you would come to restore this land back to its godly foundations. And that God, we recognize, God, that you are in complete control and God, you're gonna use whatever and you're gonna use whomever to accomplish your plans and your purposes. Even if that involves taking us into greater places of darkness and captivity in order to ultimately bring us to redemption and freedom. And God, again, it's, it's not what we want. It's not what we're asking for. 
And so this morning, Father, we just ask again, God, that you would have mercy upon this nation. That, God, you would begin to send the fires, that refiner's fire. That, God, it would just begin to burn across this land. That it would begin in churches. That it would begin in pulpits throughout this nation. Father, that people would begin to preach and to teach the whole, complete, absolute truth of God. Lord, that we would remember the history of Israel, that we would remember the history of the Jewish people, to be able to learn from both the good and the bad, to be able to apply what they learned, Father, so that we may not have to experience all that they experienced. And so God, we just ask, Lord, in your great mercy, God, that you would just begin to lead the people of God back to the word of God. Lord, let that start with us here this morning. God, that we would commit to you, God, that we're gonna get into the word, that we're gonna study the word, that we're gonna obey the word, that we're gonna be diligent in teaching the word. And God, we pray, Lord, that you would use that as a spark of revival in this church, God, that it would begin to affect our city, our county, our state, and our nation. And Father, that churches across this land, that Lord, they would be doing the same. And that God, there would just come a revival and a restoration across this land. Father God, we repent of the evils that we have allowed, the evils that we have pursued that have taken us away from you, that have taken us away from your word. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you would cleanse us. We thank you for the blood of Jesus this morning that has secured our redemption forever. Father, we just pray again for the blood of Jesus to just begin to cleanse churches and pulpits, that the blood of Jesus would begin to cleanse pastors, that it would begin to cleanse congregations. Father God, that we would begin to call out to you. That God, we would begin to acknowledge that we would begin to give you thanks. That you are who you are. And that your every promise to us is yes and amen. Father God, we just pray for any and all of us, Lord, who are in places of captivity whether we're captive to drugs, whether we're captive to alcohol, whether we're captive to shopping, whether we're captive to pornography, whatever that captivity may be, that God, you would not just give us over to the desires of our hearts, but God, you would continue to pursue us, that God, you would continue to draw us back to yourself. God, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, God, that we could see our sin, God, and repent of that. God, we just pray for humility in the church. We pray for humility in the pulpits. That God, this morning, before we would ever move to take a speck out of our brother's eye, God, that we would first make sure there's not a log in our own. So God, I pray this morning that that fire of revival would start with us. It would start with our hearts. And that God, you would use us, Lord, to begin 
to bring revival to the hearts of others. God, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for their willingness, God, to be open, to be open to your word and to your ways. God, speak to us individually. Speak to us as a body. Equip us and use us. Father, I pray that you would take us in, in, in deeper, deeper knowledge of who you are, that you would reveal more and more of yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth. And Father, we just pray, Lord, for more and more of your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to open our eyes to the truth of who you are. So God, let it begin with us this morning. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. You said it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, overwhelm us with your kindness this morning. That God, that kindness would motivate us, lead us, compel us towards repentance this morning. You are a good God. You are a merciful God. You are a great God. You are an awesome God. You are a loving and a gracious God. That is your kindness. That is who you are. And God, just open our hearts more and more to the reality of that this morning. We acknowledge you are the one true God. There is no one above you. There is no one greater than you. And that you have given to us that one name, the name of Jesus Christ that all who call upon him shall be saved. And we call upon the name of Jesus this morning. And we thank you that it is through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that we can call and declare Jesus is Lord. We thank you for that this morning. Come God and just visit this land. Bring a fresh wave of revival upon us. Lead us from this darkness into your glorious light. And we are here, your servants, Lord. Use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's invite Please visit us at praisecc.org.